0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Ronaldo Linares, who is author of Sabores de Cuba, a cookbook. Today we will discuss his cuisine. Ronaldo is a Cuban-Colombian-American salsa-dancing, mixed martial arts fighting CrossFit training former U.S. Marine, who is also a classically trained chef and restaurateur, living his dream. Born in Colombia during the turbulent cartel wars of the 1980s, cooking has been the main ingredient in Ronaldo's journey from young immigrant to rebellious teen to successful chef and media personality. Ronaldo has showcased his Cuban-inspired, passion-infused culinary style on food networks Chopped, BBC America's cross-country chef competition, Chef Race, and appearances on Better TV, Fox News, and Telemundo. When not in the kitchen, Ronaldo is active in the community, speaking to schools, youth groups, and corporations about his life's journey and healthy living. Ronaldo, welcome.
1: Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that wonderful introduction.
0: Absolutely. I think we're all eager to hear about this journey and, of course, the recipes and the cookbook that you've just released, Sabores de Cuba. What is... At the heart of cooking, what inspires you to cook? You have so many different aspects to your life that I just mentioned, dancing and martial arts and CrossFit training. You're a former Marine. Why cooking?
1: Why cooking? What inspires me? Um, I mean, you said it yourself. There's one, one word there, life. Uh, life inspires me, you know, to to cook, and, and to me, it's one of the best ways to express yourself artistically is through through food. You know, the chance to be able to uh, create out of a single ingredient uh, and and transform that into something that's delectable, something that's gonna you're gonna bite into, it and it's gonna make you kind of dance in your seat a little bit. It's gonna you know tickle your stomach uh, a little bit, and, and it's gonna make you wonder uh in depth what this ingredient truly is you know and that's one of the things that as a chef uh, and all the chefs take great pride in is in transforming the ordinary into the extra extraordinary and um as uh, in my life it's very active in, in as a father as a husband, as a you know, as a restaurateur, um, and, and, and dabbling, you know, being in the Marine Corps and doing all those things, it has kind of uh, um, I've been able to peel my skin like a snake uh, many times and grow, and it has made me, uh, for sure, a, a better chef and overall better in life. You know, winning, literally winning that life for sure.
0: It seems glamorous and exciting and activity-filled, but there's also a lot of hard work to being a good chef, right?
1: Definitely uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. Um, it takes a long time to, to get that, that glamour and to get all the that, all that accolades. You know, it takes a lot of work. It takes years and years. I mean, I've mean, i been doing this for 15 years. You know, uh, I remember days uh, when I was in the military, I was in the food service, in the Marine Corps. I used to work there 18, 19-hour days. For weeks, for weeks, seven days a week. Um and you know what kept me going, uh, obviously you have to show up to work in the Marine Corps, otherwise uh, you'll get in a lot of trouble but the, the cre the creative part of it the, the hustle, the the growth, and, and, I, and I knew that I was getting better at what I was doing week in and week out. And then leaving the Marine Corps and coming to the real world and doing those hours, I was able to be, like, I was already prepared for that, so it wasn't that bad. And actually, it helped my creativity as a chef, and it helped my growth as a chef and as a person, as a business person, because, you know, um, hard work, it's literally hard work is what pays off nothing else uh luck has nothing to do with it um you know circumstances got nothing to do with it you, you create your your you know quote unquote luck you create those circumstances you create you create you create by hard work and i think that's the major key you know ingredient in this in this sancocho in this stew of life that we call you know
0: Tell us about your book, Sabores de Cuba. That means the flavors of Cuba, right?
1: Yes. That means flavors of Cuba. So the book's name is Chef Ronaldo's Sabores de Cuba. And the book itself is, you know, I want to let everybody know the book is a diabetic-friendly book. Friendly means that all the recipes comply with the nutritional guidelines of the ADA, right? Uh, So that means if you have diabetes, you're good to go with this. The book, Uh, What's really special about it is that it really touches base with the Latino roots, with the flavors, with the cooking, the stories throughout uh, the book. The book is bilingual, and it's something that I took great, great pride in. and, and And being my first book, I wanted to make an impact. And I feel like I'm making that impact. I feel like I'm getting the people back in the kitchen, really thinking about what they're eating. And and that is the most important part about about health. And also, you know, just like in business, right, you don't just – uh, go in. You get up. You, you get work done, and that's it. There's a plan, right? There's a plan of attack. You know, you always got to have the the best resources. You have to research. You you have to uh, look what others are doing, um, and see what they're not doing. So you could do that and, and jump on it and, and be the first and be and be the one uh, of, of cost to change. You know. what
0: When you say the ADA, you're talking about the American Diabetes Association. Which is the publisher of the book as well as the organization that's backing your efforts? Is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct. The ADA does American Diabetes Association, and they are publish the book. They're backing. Uh, they are backing my cause. And the cool thing about this is that the book itself, um, a high percentage of the book sales go to research. For diabetes to find cure to find new ways to fight this disease because that's what it is, um, and it's something I'm very proud of. You know, um, you know, I'm really doing this for the right reasons, and you know, and, and I'm, I'm very excited. You know, a lot of people thought that I wouldn't it couldn't get done to create something so flavorful that it actually, while you eat it, you're like, This can't be diabetic friendly, and that to me, I love it. I love it, 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 it fires me up. Uh, for you to feel like that because I did my job. I did what I needed to do. And it kind of, you know, I I give myself a little pat on the back on that.
0: I read in today's paper, coincidentally, that there are 29 million diabetes sufferers in the United States. That's a really large number. That's about 10%, just under 10% of the overall U.S. population. Hmm. Are you addressing that entire group? Are you just addressing Hispanics? Who are you targeting with the cookbook? Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: I am targeting everyone uh, with a cook, uh, uh, cookbook. Those those that have pre diabetes that actually people don't have. So if you have diabetes in your family and if you're listening, go get a, a test. Just go to diabetes. Org and there's a test there. A few questions that uh, will lead you to see if you have pre-diabetic symptoms and then you just go get a, uh, get a test at the actual doctor to see if you have that in your blood. Uh, but anyway, um, definitely addressing everybody. I mean, the book is bilingual. So for non, non, you know, non-Latinos, Latinos, uh, the African community, uh, especially, uh, especially, especially the African-Latino community, um, we are twice as likely to get diabetes. Uh, so if you're Latino listening to this, you're ready, you're ready have twice the likability to get diabetes. So that means we really have to watch what we're eating, our portions, what kind of fats we're using, you know, what, what we're really putting in our mouth. Because once you get diabetes, man, it's it's, it's not a it's not fun thing. It's not a fun thing. And, and if you're not able to control it, if you're not able to, to take care of it get, and get a handle on it early, it's going to be a rough road. It's going to be a rough road for sure. So definitely targeting everybody uh because you know diabetes is is not uh, racist <laughs> you know diabetes is for they'll go they'll go to everybody and then i don't know if anybody um you know if you guys have in your research or you know what you watch on t v um you don't have to be any more obese to get diabetes. You could be hundred and sixty pounds, and if you're just not eating properly and you know you're that one of those people that could eat whatever and not gain weight. You know, you're 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 likely gonna get you know might get diabetes. So you really have to be careful and, and really have to uh, take control of our life, guys. You know.
0: Do you have any more information on Latinos and diabetes? Do you have any statistics you might share with us, Orlando? As far
1: well, as far as the uh, statistics, the uh, the one you know that I just mentioned that stands the most to me is the, you know, the, the, we're twice as likely to get uh, the diabetes. The uh, reason being is because of our diets, our Mediterranean diets, a lot of rice. I mean, a lot of it, uh, a lot of uh, simple carbs and, and just large meals. And, you know, that's one of the things that we have to really get a hold of and really start thinking of of, of um, what we're putting in our mouth and assimilating to American type culture, you know, and and that's what the book is is about and it's important. That we're getting back into the kitchen, to actual to actual cooking. Um, Latinos, uh, another another thing that's out there. Um, a lot of them, you know, we don't have the the resources, the money, and everything like that. Uh, a lot of them are just kind of lower class, kind of just getting past day by day. And when we go to the supermarket, we buy what's more convenient. The sodas, the pre, you know, pre-made uh, foods, uh, things that are fried because we think that's that's cheaper, and we stay away from the produce aisle, which drives me crazy. Because as a young, it's um, a young man you know, being half Colombian, I was born in Colombia, in Colombia, I, the best times were going to the market to get the fresh produce, the fresh meats, and go home and prepare it with my mom, and I think that's something that kind of shocks me among us Latinos. That's something that's in, like in our DNA to do, so if we start doing doing those things, going you know, hitting the produce out, going to the butcher shop, staying away from the uh, to, from the foods with, with GMOs, prepared, uh, fast food, sodas, chips, and all that, uh, simple sugar, all those sugars, we get away from that, we could lower the the number of people getting diabetes per year by a, a pretty good percentage. And that means we're going to live longer, lower, lower health care costs, which is also another thing with diabetes. The more people get diabetes, the higher health care is.
0: And we're talking about cooking in relation to diabetes because diabetes can be managed, not necessarily gotten rid of, but the way that you eat can affect your symptoms of diabetes. Is that right?
1: Yes, definitely that is correct. Um, well, type 2 diabetes, there have been some people that have read um, that actually have been able to to, uh, that have got type 2 diabetes that they want to reverse to the diabetes and, and get rid of it by exercising, eating properly, and, and really, really, uh, being diligent with that. Um, and by doing that, they lost the weight, they lost the fat, their numbers get down, and eventually, die, you know, they, they get rid of diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, on the other hand, um, know, you're born with it or it, comes it comes it comes on uh later on in life you know it could be one, you could be five years old, it could be fifteen, you could be twenty one years old um, and get type one diabetes and that's you know that's that's that 's the harder one of them and that 's something that stays with, stays with you throughout your life um, you know you have to get your insulin pump and, and it's and it 's really hard i mean it 's really tough. I know a lady that um, that I work out with over at CrossFit and she has lost about twenty five pounds since she started and you know her levels stay 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 uh normal longer she's not as as dependent on the insulin pump and and she feels great um so with the eating like i said and the uh exercise uh being consistent with that uh, and and investing in your body and your mind you know you're not only doing that for yourself but you're going to be a, around longer for your kids for your parents for the people that love you you know and and of course for yourself
0: and the good news of course is that only about five percent of the 29 million people who suffer from diabetes suffer from type 1 diabetes yeah. so we have a very large percentage of the population who has a chance of controlling diabetes through diet
1: oh yeah no no for sure and, and that's a good thing about it that's the good thing about it that you know, a lot, the high, like you said, the, the big percentage of people have type 2 diabetes. So it's definitely controllable. It's definitely manageable. And I'm telling you guys, you, this is, it's, all right, so I tell people all the time. People come to me and ask me, you know, I'm overweight. You know, I have type 2 diabetes. You know, it, it really stinks. You know, so on and so forth. I'm telling them, look, you have either two choices. Keep feeling bad about yourself. Keep putting yourself down. Or choice B, make a change. Start telling yourself I could do this. Take, be take take a stance for your health and your life. Get rid of everything that you cannot cook at the house. If you can't cook it, meaning that it's already prepared, like you open a bag of chips, and you didn't get rid of that. Get rid of all the sugars. Don't have anything that's gonna tempt you. Uh, uh, that's gonna tempt you to worsen your 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 uh, situation, right? So start cooking more. Join a gym. Join something where there's a group setting that's going to motivate you to move forward. Take those tips. Start listening to books on health. Start doing things that are constantly going to remind you, that are going to um, uh, kind of let you know every day, that you have to do this, you have to work out, you have to eat right, and eventually it's going to come a lifestyle, and that lifestyle is going to turn into losing the pounds, losing the fat, and then turning uh, type 2 diabetes away, making it a thing of the past. And if we do that, oh, my God, people are, are going to be happier, going to live longer, and it really is, um, you know, life-changing, life-changing for, for yourself. Because having that, that disease, it's, it's, not a, it's not a fun thing to have, you know.
0: Ronaldo, the subtitle of your book is Diabetes-Friendly, Traditional and Nuevo Cubano Cuisine. What is We know what the diabetes-friendly part means a little bit because you told us at the beginning and we've been talking about all these issues relating to diabetes and managing your diet. But what are we talking about when you say Nuevo Cubano? I'm not familiar with that term. Please tell us about it.
1: All right. So we dabble a little bit with the diabetes-friendly part. So let's dabble a little bit with the Nuevo Cubano part. So the book itself, um, you know, I do have the classics there to all my Cuban people. The classic dishes are there, so you're happy with that. And the nuevo cubano side, it just kind of, to me, to personally, to me, in, in my opinion, uh, the nuevo cubano part is integrating um, different styles of cooking in there, from flavors, you know, using uh, fruits or starches like uh, purple potatoes from Peru, using uh, fruits and everything from Colombia, you know, integrating, integrating other cultures into the cubano cuisine. Uh, to me, that's that nuevo cubano cuisine. Using different, uh, the, the use of spices, uh, the mixture of spices of you know the the times of the world, the sages of the world that you don't typically would use in cubano cuisine. I'm using because it adds flavor. And what is it about? It's about flavor. Um, and, and to me, that's more that nuevo cubano side of things. Using doing ceviches. Um, and, and adding the Cuban flair to it using the Cuban seasoning, so it, to me it's just it 's kind of just um, taking a little bit from from other cultures, adding it to ours and and, and making something splendid, something flavorful and delicious because if if we were to unite uh, like how we unite food with other cultures, unite ourselves with other cultures, let me tell you what things could
0: be a lot more flavorful. You talked a moment ago about getting rid of all the sugars when you were recommending to diabetes sufferers what steps they might take to improve their health. Some people might argue that fruit and vegetables have sugars. What
1: oh, are, yeah, well, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Uh, the sugars, what I mean by sugar is uh, the little sugars that come in the packets and sodas, um, everything that's added sugars, right, added sugars. Fruits, man, go ahead, eat some fruit. Eat the veggies because those are natural sugars that come with that. Um, obviously, you have to, you know, be, having diabetes, you have to watch your portion size on the fruits. Even though it has sugar, it's good for you. You, you have to watch your, your, your portion size. And all that portion sizes, you could find on, um, on diabetes.org. Uh, on their health, uh, on their health site in the search box, you can find portion sites and it'll give you a portion tablet, uh, where, what, how much mango you could have, how much pear, apple, and everything. And the cool thing about it is that if people were to look, uh, when they buy, uh, fruits, usually now they're starting to have the nutritional, uh, um, Counts on the back, right, the little nutrition label, and it lets you know the size, the portion size there. It could be half a mango, a quarter cup of a mango, half a cup of a mango, half an apple, or a quarter cup of an apple, and that pretty much is a great guideline for yourself, especially if you have diabetes, or if you don't, just to live a healthy lifestyle, to, to start going on the right steps of having a better life overall, because with better health, everything else uh, in life gets better in business with people in your marriage uh, and, and just dealing with everyday things.
0: Hispanic food oftentimes is very focused on the animal products and by that I mean the lechon or mm-hmm. the beef the vaca frita the roba vieja you talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we all love that. Yeah. Recently however the United Nations has announced that meats are carcinogenic, equivalent to second-hand smoke. This may not be related specifically to diabetes, but it certainly is related to our overall health. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ronaldo?
1: Definitely have thoughts on it. I mean, I, the ropa avella, la cafrita, you're killing me with that. Uh, my mouth is watering.
0: Um,
1: so... As far as that goes, right, we love our pork shoulder. Pork shoulder is full of fat. If um, yeah, We have a nice steak, a, a ribeye. There's, there's a lot of fat on there. So we really have to take in, in, in conscience that, you know, I'm going to hit up the meat part, like the pork and all that stuff versus the chicken and everything. You know, we have to look, you know, to the leaner parts, which is some people are like, oh, but it's not as flavorful. Actually, it, it is as flavorful if you prepare it correctly, you know. Obviously, with a with a quarter leg, right, with a with a thigh, You don't have to do much because there's a lot of fat there. But with fat, right, you know, comes health issues. So if you're able to, you know, do a little bit uh, of research, you know, we have so many tools nowadays, especially Google, YouTube, to find ways to introduce flavor. You have my book, Chef Ronaldo Sabores de Cuba, that could <laughs> help you with those flavors um, to, to add it to the liner meat, to the pork tenderloins of the world. So instead of making that pork shoulder, you can make a pork tenderloin or a pork loin and infuse it with those flavors, and, and it's going to come out as good and to me, it's not even better because you were able to transform something that is very lean into something tender and delicious um as far as red meat, to me it's all about the product right um those you know i'm not I'm not very aware of of you know the study of the carcinogens and everything in red meat, but I know the fat uh, you know most likely they're talking about the fat uh caps that are in the red meat because yes those those that fat. Uh, once it's burnt, once you over, once it's cooked to a, past a certain degree, I'm not sure what the degree is, it does turn. <coughs> excuse me, into carcinogens. That is correct. Just like olive oil, if you if you burn olive oil, once it's past the smoke point, now it's carcinogen. You know, it's it, it, it You find it in in everything. So so once again. You have to learn how to prepare these foods. Buy the, the better product meat. Spend the money. If we're willing to spend three, four, five hundred dollars $500 on a pair of shoes, right, and a pair of Aldos or a pair of Louis Vuittons or, or, or a $180 pair of jeans, why are we not spending that food, that money on proper food, on organic foods? Because now, I, I don't know about you, but you're seeing it a lot more now, organic foods, organic meats, chicken, uh, pork. Being properly raised, right, with proper food, yes, it's a little more expensive, but you're investing in yourself. Because let me tell you what, that $180 pair of jeans with you not around, it's not worth anything. But if you invest that, that invest the money in proper food, in turn, it's going to fill you up better. And if you are exercising, then you're turning that food into power, and if you have those things aligned, right, you're going to be able to put more work into your craft, into your business, into your startup, into your life, into your kid, into your marriage. You're able to put a lot more, be a lot happier. Because let me tell you what, I do a lot. My my schedule is completely packed. But let me tell you what, everything I do, I give it 110% because of the lifestyle choices that I make. And what I make, uh, what's A and what's B. And A for me is my health. And I'm able to get a lot more of the other things because I'm able to take care of that first.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned organic because in recent years, that has taken on a life of itself. We're seeing trendy stores that are focused on all of these healthful aspects of eating and nutrition like Whole Foods and the Fresh Market and Trader Joe's and the list goes on. Tell us a little bit more about these aspects such as organic and hormone free and antibiotic free. Do they really make a difference? Can you taste the difference
1: Definitely, um so this whole organic movement, I mean it's taking a life on its own like you said, it's amazing. Um, you find it in a lot of markets now and where I live in New Jersey, in Somerville New Jersey, I in the area in the surrounding area there's a lot of farms and actually this is one farm that I go to a lot and it's pretty cool because they've it, take, it has taken about five years to get the organic certification, meaning that the soil had to be purified, turned over to pass the inspection of the organic uh, association. Per se, I'm not sure what their actual name is, but uh, to you know to pass their test to be able to to grow organic food. And as far as the flavor, you could definitely definitely tell the flavor uh, difference. The food is more vibrant. The flavors are, I, I think, 100% better. And it just, it gives a new life to food and you actually feel it in your body. You don't feel as, uh, bloated when you eat certain foods. You don't, you don't feel, um, you, your, your body digests a lot better. You're able to be more, uh, clear per se, right? <laughs> but, uh, definitely the organic foods make a big difference in your skin. And in in your energy levels, your body's able to digest it better, uh, a little bit quicker, because you do not have to fight through all those chemicals. Through uh, your body, figure out what you know. I know it's a tomato, but what else is in there? Because it doesn't, it doesn't have the same structure as a you know a organic tomato per se. Uh, so definitely, I think the difference is there, and, I, and it's worth the extra two three dollars, you know. Uh, so definitely, you know, I'm on the organic uh, bandwagon because that's what I grew up in. You know, food should not have a, a label of "Hey, this is GMO, this is organic." It should just be all organic, should be all natural, like they have in Europe. You know, uh, that's why I love that's why I love Europe because of that. One of the one of the reasons, and, and you know, there's strict there's strict rules on on food over there. You know.
0: Uh- Tell us about the GMO. I forgot to mention that one that is also taking on a life of its own. GMO is genetically modified. What does the O stand for? I can't remember.
1: Ge- uh, genetically modified, uh, I think. Um, I don't want to think.
0: Yeah, see, I got stuck for some organism. reason. I forgot
1: uh, what it was. Yes. Is I it I, I like lucky. I think it's organism. I think it's organism. Um, I'm having like a blank over here. Like I'm having a yeah, organism. Uh, yes, organism. I wanted to say organism. I, you know it's organism, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, get fact checked later on, like the like the debate.
0: Right. But anyway,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, GMOs are no bueno. You know, so they take. Uh, it's like it's like let's make this tomato blue. How can we do that? You know what I mean. Like, you're taking things that are not supposed. They're they're making foods look like other foods that are not supposed to. You know, they're taking a pear and an apple and making a pear apple. I don't know what that's called, but that's not normal. You know, it it messes up the genetic uh, coding of that. Fruit of that vegetable, um, and I don't know about you, man, but I don't want to be eating, you know, genetically engineered food. Like they make, like for example, strawberries. They have figured a way how to grow strawberries uh, using a certain formula, uh, certain formula, scientific formula to grow strawberries without a seed. So that's pretty crazy, you know. I I, I don't know about you, but. I, I do not want to be uh, eating uh, those things like that, where things are created in a laboratory instead of in the dirt, uh, being watered daily and grown, and, and and beautiful crisp greens or a beautiful fruit that you bite into and and, and it's just so juicy. That's what I like. You know, I don't want to be eating f- uh, food out of a, a scientific laboratory, right?
0: Absolutely, and that actually takes me back when you say laboratory, and it reminds me of the antibiotics that they have Mm -hmm. been giving the animals to fatten them up so they can make more money. Mm -hmm. And last thing I heard was, once again, the United Nations has drawn attention to antibiotics in food, and they have now said, I think it's only the fourth time in the history of the organization, that they have called it a crisis and they are now saying that it is on par in importance with Ebola, that we have a worldwide crisis because there are superbugs that they have no way of treating, that tens Mm. of thousands of people are dying every year because they are eating food or they're being exposed to these bugs that are resistant to all the known antibiotics that we have.
1: Yeah, no, think? no, yeah, yeah, no, no, Definitely, yeah, that, that you're right. That is something that I read on. Uh, that I did read on, and definitely, it's it's scary because they have been pumping these animals with uh, antibiotics. The meat that you see in the supermarket, guys, you know that, you know, that's why organic. Uh, and and you know, do the research where it's coming from, what organic farm is coming from. But anyway, let me get back to the to the question. So the bacteria that is it, it, becoming resistant. To the antibiotics are given to the animals to make them grow quicker, fatter, juicier, right? So what that happens is that it stays in the meat. It's still harboring there. We eat it. We get it. And in some instances, like you said, we die. And that is the that is as real as it gets, right? So we really have to, you know, think of, of, of what we're doing. And here in America, it's about the dollar, the bottom dollar. How, how many eggs can... A, can we get this chicken to produce in one day, right? A chicken produces probably one egg a day. A good, healthy, happy chicken will give you an egg a day. They have these farms when they're producing three to four egg, uh, chick, uh, eggs. Hens are producing four eggs a day. That is, first of all, that is not good for the chicken. The chicken is suffering. And then now they're enclosed. Now the other chickens, that one gets sick. The other chickens are getting that, and it gets into our eggs. And once again, who consumes it? We do, and then we get sick. So uh, standing up to this and, and, and getting more informed, right, being able to get educated on, on, on what's going on with our food and, you know, standing up for that. You know, and then, if, you know, God, if I could, uh, you know, once I get more, more uh more, uh, my 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 audience grows more. I'm definitely gonna uh, keep you know keep finding other ways to to make an impact and be able to to get people to really you know open their eyes and, and start uh, doing what they do overseas. You know, uh, only only accepting foods that are, are naturally grown and and I understand that demand, but I, there has to be other ways for us to be able to. To, to get what we need, you know, as far as meats and food and all that stuff, you know.
0: If I'm hearing you correctly then, Ronaldo, you are a strong advocate of eating food as close to its natural state as possible. Is that right?
1: You are 100% correct, my dear. I am a big fan of getting it as close as possible to its natural state, um, because as a chef, you know, that's what you do. You know, you, you get ingredients, simple ingredients, and you don't do you know, you don't do too much to them, you know, to, to change uh what it is, but you elevate it, you know, and, and, and again we go back to being a chef, you know, that's what we enjoy, you know, uh taking taking a, a lamb shop and just adding a little thyme to it, a little tomillo, a little salt, a little pepper giving a proper sear and cooking it perfectly medium rare with squeeze of lime juice on top, and that 's it, you know really keeping it true to to what it is, and then definitely you are one hundred percent correct, my dear
0: A chef once told me that if you start with good ingredients you 've won half the battle is that right
1: <laughs> yeah definitely you you have <laughs> you definitely have won, won half or most of the battle because. Um, I, I you know, it's funny we were talking about ingredients because I heard uh, Chef Jack Papine say that. They asked him, what is more important, the ingredient or the chef? He said the ingredient. The ingredient, why? Because if you have a bad ingredient, no matter how good the chef is, it, it's going to be tough to turn that bad ingredient into something good. But if the ingredient's amazing, if the ingredient is fresh, it's true, uh, uh, true to its, what it's supposed to be, you know, uh, a, a mediocre chef could make something amazing out of it. So definitely the ingredient. Uh, the ingredient has to be uh, as best as possible, you know.
0: Let's go back to the whole writing a book and writing a cookbook and writing a cookbook that's diabetes friendly because each one of these has its own challenges. Where was the idea born? Why did you decide to embark on a book project, and how did you get from there to it being a cookbook or a diabetes-friendly cookbook, or did it start from the beginning as a diabetes-friendly project? Tell us a little bit about that, if you would.
1: Oh, no, definitely. be my pleasure. So what, how did it start? What's it? Did it evolve to it or did it start as a diabetic-friendly cookbook? It started as a diabetic-friendly cookbook. I had uh, pitched the uh, American Diabetes Association Publishing House, um, ran into them, and um, gave them the pitch, and they loved the idea, and then, you know, we know, we, we got to talking, and they were like, can you really do this? So I'm like, yeah, I can. Um, reason being, because I have a lot of people, I have a lot of people, I know a lot of people that, that have diabetes. Uh, my sister-in-law has diabetes. Um, type 2, and I see the struggles that they have, and, and the thing they always come with, especially the Latinos, I don't want to be eating bold chicken and lettuce. You know, that's the assumption, right? If you have diabetes, you can't eat anything, which is a complete, complete BS, complete lie. You could eat mostly everything, right? I mean, no, you could eat everything because if you're eating, like I said, uh, the, the food that's close to the source of what it's supposed to be, you could really eat anything. It's just watching your your portion. So my book, you know, it, I wanted, like I said earlier before, I wanted to be impactful, you know, and I had so much fun uh, uh, writing this book because it was a challenge, you know. I wanted to make sure that I stayed true to to my culture but also be able to provide a different avenue for people that have diabetes type 1 and type 2 and to be able to, have fun with the eat, be able to open their minds more to different foods, to to open, uh, you know, to be able to get to chapter four, five, six, seven, instead of uh, staying in the first three chapters. So, you know, all these challenges I was able to meet. I was able to check off. And I was able to implement, you know, uh, great stories through there. Um, and, and really, I think, really hit uh, every kind of person out there, moms, single moms, uh, moms that are at home, dads that are single, the the millennial that's you know under run, uh, the the businessman that that you know that also cooks at home that enjoys that, and being able to 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 hit every one of those notes, and so the book I think uh, hit everything on every level, a true success. The book is doing amazing, and you know I hope everyone that is listening. Uh, goes over to Amazon.com and gets Chef Ronaldo's Saurizekula.
0: Are the recipes in the book and the things that you talk about in the book unique? In other words, did you experiment and come up with recipes that have the right combination of ingredients to be diabetes-friendly, is this just a gathering of information from other sources? Tell us a little bit about what's in the book in terms of from that perspective.
1: So as far as what's in the book, I mean, the recipes are all mine. Um, I actually uh, had to follow a guideline uh, of what they consider um, diabetic-friendly. Right, so that I had the sheets of the portion counts of how much of uh, how much fat, how many carbs, how many how much protein, how many sugars, and everything that it could have. Right, natural sugars, of course, that the recipe could have. So I, since you know, this is pretty much my lifestyle, I kind of you know, I'm like, all right, I I, I got an idea of what they want. I'm just going to cook the food, get it, you know, get it done, uh, make things that I I know are are amazing, um, and kind of, I would say, uh, change things up. Instead of, uh, for example, for example, we love tostones. We love green plantains, man, the twice-fried tostones. So instead of frying them, I put them in the oven, I roasted them up, took them out, smashed them, Finish them in the oven again. Add a little bit of salt and pepper on top, and you got some amazing crispy tostones. And what I found out with that is that the plantain itself was able to to really develop in flavor. Those natural sugars we talk about in the foods, the different, that savory flavor that the, the, the Platano Verde has, the green plantain has, I was able to come out more. So it was really cool to find those things out. Um, the mofongo, there's an awesome plantain mash in there, sweet plantain um, and uh, mash that I did. So what I did was I took the plantain, I simmered it in water, I took it out, added a little bit of nutmeg, a little cinnamon, gave it nice flavors, right? Whipped that up and made a nice little mofongo with that. Uh, and again, the flavors to me were a lot better because sometimes with frying foods, yes, it's quicker, but you don't give time for the for the uh, those 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 flavors those uh, to develop, right? So roasting uh braising uh I was able you know able to do a lot of that stewing a lot of stewing in there some sancochos stews uh were were done uh and that's what I do on a regular basis so did I have to modify a lot of things in a in the book not really because once I handed the book in the manuscript they ran it through the nutritional analysis uh you know the in-house I um the in- over there at the publishing house they they run every recipe through a through a uh, machine, which lets you know how many uh, the nutritional contents, right, the, mac- the macros, the carbs, fat, proteins, and the other things. So if I was over by a gram or two, I just modified it. You know, I kind of changed up the portion size a little bit to comply with the uh, nutritional guidelines. And, yes, some recipes were left out because you just can only do so much change without messing the integrity of the dish. And with that said, you know, the, the – I didn't have to do much changing to to my recipes, you know, uh, which made me very happy and and and, and proved that anyone could do this, that anyone could live a healthy life with flavor.
0: You include in the book a section on gluten-free flours. This is another topic that has been blazing a trail through the whole country. People who have removed gluten from their diet. Was this something that you tested? Did you make foods with these gluten-free flours? What can you tell us?
1: So, yes, so the gluten-free movement has been crazy, and a lot of chefs kind of get upset about it because a lot of people don't have any allergies or anything like that. They come in and say they do, or I can't have gluten this, gluten that, and it kind of, as a chef, sometimes you have certain specials that are, are, it is what it is, And, you know, you want to comply with the customer, um, but you also are like, come on, you know, just, you know, order something else or, you know, have the dish as is if you don't really have that. But those that do have celiac uh, disease, which is horrible, you know, it's, you know, you have flour, you have pain in the joints, you feel like you're the sickest you ever felt. So, with that said, right, the flours that you're going to find in the book, there's a lot of different options, like a bonzo flour, rice flour. Quinoa flour, I dabble with that, I cook with that all the time. Again, it's my lifestyle. That's what I do. I have that in my pantry. You go in my pantry, you find a lot of those flours, right? Uh, something that I, I'll make breads with, I'll just add into my cooking as thickeners and everything like that. So um, the gluten-free, uh, to me, those flours um, add more flavor to your foods, right? Um, You'll be able to make breads, to make cakes, to make pastries, and to bring a little nutrition uh, to the table with that, you know what I mean. So it's able. So by using gluten free, you're able to also add uh, uh, nutrition, give your body um, feel better, feel healthier, and then also you're able to process this this gluten free flours better. Um, as you know, flour here in America, uh, here where we live, it's been processed so much. It's not really uh, not really flour anymore, you know. It's not true ground it up, and here you go. That's pure. That's pure flour, but with this flour, it's been cut so many times that that's why people have gluten intolerances. You know, what happens is that your body does not um, process it as well. It gets stuck to your to your to your uh, to your insides, to the side, So the food is not able. The regular food you is not able to uh, be absorbed by your body. So that's why you get these pains and, and all that. So, you know, gluten-free, uh, you know, I see why it's a trend now. And hopefully it stays, uh, it moves from a trend to a lifestyle.
0: So there is a future with gluten-free empanadas and gluten-free Cuban bread, right?
1: Oh, hell yeah. Oh, for sure. I actually, believe it or not, if you go to my Instagram, chef underscore, Ronaldo underscore, there's some um, Cuban bread that I made about a week, two weeks ago, uh, that's gluten-free. Just using gluten-free flour. They're so using, like, juca flour, you know. He's uh, using, like, like, a little of flour. You're using, like, a nice little uh, gluten-free bread mix that uh, that you can actually buy, gluten-free bread mix. And you can make your bread from there. You can make your empanada dough from a, gluten, from a gluten-free uh, dough mix. Um, and make your empanadas uh, with any filling you want. And still, you know, the important thing is still stick to your culture, right, to our roots, which we are as Latinos are so proud of, that we love to say, I'm Cuban, I'm Colombian, I'm Mexicano, the Guatemala. We love saying that. We love doing that. But we don't show that in our food. So by providing these exceptions, providing these changes, these substitutions, we're able to to do that. We're able to go back to that and still be healthy.
0: That makes me think of something else that you talk about. You talked about it earlier, and you have a whole section in the book about it, which is farmers' markets and buying directly from the producers. What would you tell us about that?
1: So Elena, so farmers markets. Farmers markets, I love. You know, number one, you're supporting the cost, right? You're you're putting money back into the community, uh, so they could stay in business, so they could provide that awesome produce. I love going there because I mean you you're you're able. Let's say you have a son. Right? I have a son. At, uh, he's almost three years old. He'll be three in December. And from when I can remember, he every year we go to the farmers markets once they come into season. We go hang around there. We buy produce. I get to show him, you know, what to look for, and I talk to him. He, I mean, he's starting to understand more now, but, you know, it's, it's, you're able to share an experience. You're able to share memories, and dabbling with farmer's markets, you're really getting it from the source. You know, we talked about earlier you know, that, um, you know, we want to cook from its natural state, and what more from a natural state can you get than from a farmer's market, right?
0: Absolutely. Something else that you mentioned earlier was that it's hard work accomplishing your goals and that luck has nothing to do with it because you create your own luck. Tell us about that way of looking at things. Many of our business listeners are interested to see how you get a book project published and all of these accomplishments that you have to your credit what is this create-your-luck philosophy?
1: All right, this is perfect. I have a story for you, okay, about the book, how I got the book deal, all right? I'm going to try to keep this real short. So in May uh, at the BEA Book Fair at the Javits Center uh, in New York, I got two tickets along with my manager to go there and uh, to, pitch book, to go and pitch uh, a book idea. So that day, my my son's babysitter, he was six months at the time, could not watch my kid. It was an issue, whatever. So I took him with me to this book fair. We're talking about thousands of people, no kids allowed. I brought my kid. My manager's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry about it. This is going to be good. So with me, I had a bio sheet and a recipe card that I was going to give to every person that I pitched, right? Different books, different ideas, different pitches, different publishers. So... I have been doing work with the American Diabetes Association, doing cooking demos and live talks with them, doing speaking uh, speaking sets with them, and I have maybe pitched uh, about ten publishers different ideas. And something that I always wanted to do was like this healthy, awesome Latino Cuban cookbook. So I saw the ADA and the way out, and I turned to Barbara, my manager, and I'm like, Barbara. Let's go pitch the ADA. I didn't know they have a publishing house. So we went up to them, and I talked to Victor. Victor was there. I talked to Victor. I said, Victor, how are you, man? He said, how are you doing? I said, my name is Ronaldo Linares. This is Barbara. And this is my son, Liam Linares. And I gave him my bio sheets. I gave him my recipe card, and I began to talk to him about, you know, the publishing and everything. And I asked him, do you guys have or thought about doing a true Cuban cookbook that really stays to the roots that really goes back, and, 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 and the focus of it is bringing people back to the table and cooking, but bringing it from my perspective, from someone that's young, that understands what people want. You guys interested in that. And it's like, sounds very good. He's like, you could do this. Like, yeah, I could do this. Not, not an issue. It's like, all right. And it's funny because we've been talking about doing a Cuban cookbook. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect timing. You know, this is meant to be. So two weeks later, an email came along. We want to talk. We set up a meeting. We talked, and they wanted us to give them a book proposal. We sent in the book proposal. Another meeting was set in July. So now we're in July. So I had this meeting, but I had to go to Restaurant Depot because, you know, restaurant life do not stop for nothing, for nobody, not me, not you, not nobody. So we I'm driving to Restaurant Depot, and I know I have this meeting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get what I need to get, get back in the car so I could take this phone call. So the phone call uh, came a little earlier than I expected. So I was in this parking lot, no shade. I have the air conditioning blasting, and I'm on this call trying to negotiate this book deal, right? With on a, on a conference call with my Bar- with Barbara, myself, and Victor, trying to negotiate this book deal. So we're talking back and forth. We get everything done. They love the manuscript, um, and the conversation ended that they're going to be sending over an, a, a contract agreement to proceed with the Cuban cook. So all of this, all of that moment to that moment has been years in the making, years of, of being persistent with my craft, years of waking up early, years of staying late at work, uh, of, of pitching people, of doing cooking demos, of Picking, of picking getting in my car at five in the morning to do a cooking segment at the Better TV show for five minutes. We're talking about three, four, five hours of prep for a five-minute segment to eventually, to hopefully one day, one day to have a book deal. And that book deal became a reality. The book deal was, once that book was able to, uh, for new releases to pre-purchase, it was once it was released, it was number one for three weeks on the new release on Amazon.com. Now it stays top 10, top 15, have 22 amazing reviews by people, by people that love, that get what I'm doing. I, have, I just recently spoke at a convention out in LA for 750 people at a keynote luncheon. And the keynote luncheon was served by who? By me. My food, my recipes. From the book, I decided to use the book to show everyone that it works to 750 Latinos from NAREP, from National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. I was able to do that of hard work, not because I got lucky, because I busted my butt to get there. So that's, that is my book story of many other stories, but that's something I'm very proud of.
0: Many people who have authored books will tell you that there's no money in books that many actually most books only sell a few copies that you have to be very here's the word lucky in order for your book to do well but other people will tell you that it doesn't matter if you don't make millions of dollars from a book because it can be a bridge to many other things what do you think
1: I, I have to uh, agree with B. Um, it's a bridge, for sure, a great bridge to create opportunities for yourself. If once again, if you're business savvy, if you use our, you know, uh, like nowadays uh, we live by social media. If you're able to to position yourself on these platforms, on Instagram, on Instagram Story, you know, that's so huge. Uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Snapchat. If you're able to use those mediums properly for what they're meant for, for the audience that is meant for, you're gonna be able to open up bridges to or highways, man. You're gonna be able to build a whole inner city uh, of connections by that. um, By Positioning yourself and, and, and going after the market and and letting people know that like you need me, like you need me yeah but I'm not a, that i 'm not my business has nothing has not to do with food I'm like I understand your business that has nothing to do with food, but people eat there 's a strategy for everything and if there's a way that I could use my book as a leverage to get to talk in front of real estate professionals millionaires man, millionaires to listen to my story to listen to uh, what I have done to this point to get what i 've what I done because everything has a similarity, and that similarity is the work we put into what we love to be to be the best at what we do right to be the best chef to be the best lawyer, to be the best fireman, and if you 're a shoe polisher, to be the best shoe polisher has ever lived if that is your inspiration you know it 's all about knowing what we want in life, and becoming the best at it. And if you put that work into that, you're going to be able to be a success, a role model for others.
0: Tell us a little bit more about that. What suggestions would you give to our listeners who are interested in having a book published, whether it's a cookbook, because perhaps we don't have a lot of listeners who are professional cooks, um, but a book on any topic, and they think that the odds are against them, what three tips would you share with them to help them get motivated and overcome their concerns?
1: What three tips? Know your topic, what you want to write about, uh, gather information, and who is who is the audience? who are you trying to write to? who are you trying to connect with you know um you know those i mean those are three i mean there's so many things that you you have to take in, in consideration but i mean I, do, I think those are great three tips uh to do you know uh, start also writing small ebooks you know kind of uh see what people are 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 engaging with the most you know. Uh book could be uh, a simple chapter on how how to close your first cell or, you know, uh, affirmation, how does it work for you, you know, th- things like that. Everyone has a story, and we create the story every single day, and it's just how you deliver it, you know. I think that's the most important thing there, what I just said, is how you deliver your message, right? It's how you deliver it. If you're able to deliver it with passion, with, with with love and true integrity, people will respond to. It. And people, and like I said, like people have responded to 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 what I wrote to my book. And my book is not only a uh, it's not only a cookbook. There's a story in there throughout the whole book. There's there's lessons there to be learned. You know, uh, so it's it's you know it's it's all about it's all about the. The, the message and, and the integrity of, of, of what you're doing and writing, and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons.
0: What suggestions would you share with readers of the cookbook or anyone at all who is interested in better health? Because this, these recipes that you share in the book are not only for people who are suffering from diabetes, anybody can. Use those recipes, right?
1: What tips can I share for the people, you know, that are reading this book and everything that, that want to live a healthier life? Um, you know, patience, first of all, patience. Like in business, you have to be patient. You have to be patient to close the deal. You have to be patient for your business to grow. So in health, you have to be patient. This is not... A, a, a quick fix. This is a life journey. You know, the moment you understand that this is a life journey, this is a lifestyle change, it will become a lot easier, right? Get knowledge. You know, of of, of where you want to be. Like, make a goal. Where? What do I want to do? What do I want to do with this? Do I want to lose twenty pounds? Do I want just to get toner? Do I belong to a gym? Do I do group exercises? You know, what's my fix? You have to kind of. Find that out on yourself. And also, testing recipes. You know, cooking. You know, my book is really great for that because not only are you going to get these awesome flavors, but the the, the instructions on my book, we're talking about three or four steps. That's it. To make amazing food. And for the beginner cook, it's not intimidating at all. It's actually welcoming. Actually, I pull up a red, a, red, a red carpet for you to come up and cook to your stove. That's how good it is. That's how simple it is. So, you know, taking, taking the steps of what is it that you want. Identify your goal, right? Where do I want to be with this? What, what is my purpose for this? Be patient. Understand is the life change, life journey. Understand those two things. And three, be true to yourself, right? What I mean by that is eating healthy foods. Do not cheat every day because you're only cheating yourself. You're cheating the way you feel, and you're cheating your health. If you take those three things into, into action, you will have a major change in your, the way you look, the way you feel, and the way your success.
0: Thank you, Ronaldo, for joining us today from your basement so you could have good quality sound in Somerville, New Jersey.
1: No, it is my pleasure. Uh, this has been amazing. I know. I, I hope that everyone listening uh, it was entertained. I was able to gather something from this amazing talk. Um, Elena, you're amazing. I love talking to you. I hope I, we could do this again in a different forum, a different platform, or a different discussion topic, or whatever. I um, you know, hope everyone out there is doing amazing. Uh, out here in New Jersey in Somerville, uh, it's cold. Uh, just so that you guys know, like she said, I'm in a basement. I'm looking at pillars. I'm in a building that's uh, probably 150 years old, so um, it's, pretty, it's pretty creepy back here, but I don't mind. You know, it's good. Quality sound, right? Quality sound is what it's about. That's what it's about, you know?
0: And to our audience, thank you for listening to Ronaldo Linares, who is author of Chef Ronaldo's Sabores de Cuba. A diabetes-friendly, traditional, and Nuevo Cubano cuisine who discussed his cuisine. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the hispanicnpr.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at com. That's editor at dot com.